0: The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 9, Tiger, Tiger.
1: The road had become a blur. A haze of drizzly February rain obscured any landmarks, although those might just as easily be hidden behind the tunnel of trees within which the highway was contained. They briefly rested at a motel somewhere in Virginia, we were now between Nashville and Memphis, their next stop. If Vincent was nervous, she didn't show it. In fact, she seemed to be enjoying herself. It made a bit of sense. She'd known life before the wall went up. Now it was nowhere in sight. Half bored and half fishing, Nina spoke up.
2: I guess you remembered the secession pretty well. It's hard to remember it all in proper sequence now. In med school, there was this girl I was trying to impress. She was a political science major. It didn't work out, but along the way, she taught me a lot about the distribution of power. Corporations had come unmoored from their countries of origin by then and were now this global power base that transcended local politics. A group of us got radicalized. Were you a flag burner? Much more serious than that, I'm afraid. Uh, A friend of mine got her house bulldozed to make room for a power plant. Eminent domain, which is just theft by corp. Their CEO came into town, and we bombed his car. Holy shit. He wasn't in it, but we sent a message. We weren't the only ones. That was around when the Scramblers came out. I never was clear about what brought that on. It depends on who you ask. Ask the Wireds, they'll tell you it was because of rogue states like North Korea and Iran. Which, to an extent, was true because the corporations didn't have control there but it was also a safeguard against domestic groups. You guys had missiles? Of course not. But they needed something besides rewiring, which most people didn't really understand, to scare the public into hating us. By this time, a significant number of people had been rewired and the corpse were starting to get nervous that it would spread. Once the Scrambler technology was developed, they started placing them in populated areas, complete with press conferences about rewired terrorist threats. At the time, Brooklyn wasn't the magnet it would become. That was when Washington started the Achievement Academy, too. My uncle got picked for that. I'm sorry. On the plus side, he's probably still alive. If you've got a Washington rewire job, you're on top for life. My mom said he was a teenager when they picked him. He went to the Academy High School instead of the regular one, and then straight to D.C. Her last letter from him was right before the secession. It's disgusting. They need rewired to run the system, but they have to be closeted. Sons and daughters go off to the academy and come back for holidays with a giant gulf between them and their parents who are still wired. How do they choose which ones will be picked? Basic test results, which lead to more specialized testing, identifying traits desirable to the corporations for whatever jobs they're trying to fill. I thought they worked for the government. There is no government. Not really technically yes they're government employees but many of them work out of corporate offices some are in the old halls of state but that whole thing's a kabuki theater letting the wired population believe the old system is still in place if the corps own everything why are there still wars to keep people entertained or on occasion when one corpse's interest conflicts with another's some of us had hoped that such clashes might bring the system down, but in the end, it's always less trouble to arrange a settlement, buy someone out, and make their interests yours. And then there's one last corporation. There are only a handful now. Everything bigger than a lemonade stand gets bought up before it can even begin to pose a threat. It doesn't feel like a shutdown if someone hands you a wad of cash. And if the entrepreneurs use that to start another successful business, the headhunters snatch them a corp job. If you stick up too far above the baseline, the machine will have you, one way or another. The wire is strong enough that no one ever just says no? It's all slow conditioning, cradle to grave. Setting expectations, selectively nudging pleasure centers. You don't have to know why you want something, you still want it. That's been the basis of manipulating human behavior for time immemorial. The difference now is that your wants are carefully laid out and conditioned by algorithms. And there's a lot of latitude. Some people have genes that predispose them to iconoclasm. All you have to do there is find a harmless way to express them. Like what? Tattoos, porno cons, anarcho bands, whatever. It's all just as loaded with conditioning as the plain vanilla stuff. Licensed rebellion. The damnedest thing is, these things had been known to marketers for years. All of these conditioning techniques were proven decades before the wire but there were always margins of error, people who didn't follow the lead. My dad was in sales. He didn't need a wire to convince people to buy his goods. But because of human unpredictability, he had to accept a certain threshold of rejection which his bosses didn't like. With total psychology, now the corpse had a physical way of guaranteed returns on investment. So everyone just buys the same things now? It's more subtle than that. Adwire is targeted most people like to have what everyone else has so that's easy but for some personalities you can make them feel smart for not buying a particular thing while drawing them towards something else in the process again licensed rebellion it's physical too the algorithm is constantly reconfiguring its approach based on changes in the brain and if you take out the wire you're a terrorist a freak and the corpse will know about it instantly Do you think it can ever go back to the way it was, before the wire? History never goes backwards, but you can change the direction in which it's going forward. Is that what we're trying to do? We're the only ones who can.
1: Nina let the road noise take over. She had learned something. Vincent was not afraid to put other people's lives on the line for her ideals. That was worth knowing. The closer they got to Texas, it would require some evaluation. A gust of wind and rain rattled the thistles outside Dr. Lily's bay window. He had replaced them with prettier plants many times, but they always failed in the rocky caliche of this yard. Only sharp things survived out here. Arshad had the day off for his daughter's birthday, and Lily sat at his dinner table in a haze of pot smoke, re-reading lab journals from back when the team was still a team. Those were heady days. Now they were all scattered to the wind, like Aeolian's topsoil. He leafed through the notes, recognizing the different handwriting. Diaz with his lumpy loops. Stone's steady lines. Barrett's arched, pointy script. Neidhart's... Gabriella's smooth cursive. For a moment, they were all back together with him in the Austin lab. Even then, they'd kept their research off the computer system. Total psychology was controversial, and Lily was conscious of avoiding any appearance that their studies had a political agenda. That could only last for so long of course when the dean threatened to shut the experiment down gabriella's corporate sponsorship idea saved the day and got the university a boatload of money a poison pill he saw now but at the time it seemed like a necessary bargain maybe it was he bookmarked several pages as he read through the records there had to be something here to offer a clue a way forward something he'd missed he cursed last night's mushrooms which offered him nothing in the way of insight on any topic other than the floor-paneling patterns. Slowly, he became aware of a low engine noise, growing steadily louder. A cloud of dust in the distance, which as it came nearer, appeared to hold an armored vehicle at its core. Lily shook his head. Had he made an appointment? It was possible. Rising from his chair, the doctor inspected himself in a nearby mirror. Howard Hughes... There was just enough time to at least change into an unstained shirt. Certainly not enough for a shave and haircut, but he'd been in need of those for several weeks now. The last of his shirt buttons snapped shut just as the doorbell rang. No time to tuck. And really, what were they going to do? Fire him? He pulled open one of the French doors to find the tall, wrinkled husk of Colonel Levi Haley staring back at him. They were both several years older than the last time they'd seen each other in person.
3: You too, huh? If you figure out an antidote, let me know. Are you kidding? Last scientist I let screw around with my body got me sent out to the desert.
4: Yeah, I don't trust them anymore either. Come on in.
3: I see your friend Baltierra hasn't forgotten you. One of the few. Good.
1: Lily led the way into his dining room, still littered with books, which Haley eyed momentarily. The two men circled the table, finally easing into weathered wooden chairs on opposite sides. There was a familiar tension, the kind that always resulted when one of them had to intrude on the other's business. It didn't happen often,
3: but when it did...
4: So this is our Come to Jesus meeting?
3: doesn't have to be.
4: You think I know what's going on and that I'm holding out on you?
3: I think that this is bigger than you, but I know you're a piece of it.
4: Only because I still exist. I can't control all these people who are sending me their problem children. I would have
3: a lot more confidence in your helplessness if you'd told me right away that our visitor was Selden.
4: I take full responsibility for that omission.
3: That's not a goddamned omission. That's a national security breach a mile wide. Maybe I'm just a fucking dumb grunt to you, Uh, No, no,
4: no, wait. Wait. uh, Can we start this over? Look, I'm an idiot. Selden freaks me the hell out, and there's a part of me that's afraid to admit that he even exists. But I have a responsibility to grow a pair and do my job, which... I didn't do.
3: You're right. I'm wrong. So now I get to sit here and wonder what other things you've decided don't exist.
4: You know, the stuff I work with isn't always concrete. I'm trying as hard as I can to nail down the truth.
3: We're running out of time for that. Shoes videos are all over the net. Do you know how many calls I get from Texas VEF chapters now? People are arming for war. War against what? They're just going to shoot where the seers are pointing? The hell if I know. You tell me. Do the poor bastards who come into your office think those gray critters are a threat to them?
4: No, not usually.
3: Most of them are disciples. And the rest?
4: Sometimes they get spooked by seeing them, but none of the ones they see have ever acted like shoes. Except Clifton. Damn it. This is my
3: fault. I should never have
4: sent that data out. Did you have any
3: idea that she was going to go nuts? I know why he's doing that. He's not nuts. Well... From a public safety perspective, if what he's doing isn't nuts, then it's criminal.
4: When he posted those, they were only meant for the team. He didn't know HPL was going to get compromised.
3: Fair enough. So what exactly is he doing?
4: The data he posted along with the videos were referring to lobe stimulation, correlating to the effect in each experiment. He was confirming my findings, making sure I didn't have an outlier.
3: Okay, that makes sense. Hell, that's the first thing that's made sense this week.
4: Now, if you're gonna ask me why Barrett leaked HPL...
3: You sound pretty sure that it was him. Why is that?
4: Because he's an asshole. That's your theory? Well, not entirely, no, but given that Selden was in his care and that HPL sprang a leak in the wake of that departure, I can only assume that Barrett, being an asshole, has some sort of a plan.
3: And this has nothing to do with him trying to steal your girlfriend?
4: The key word there is trying, and that was a long time
3: ago. I'm just saying your rush to judgment in the absence of any actual evidence does not inspire my confidence. Is there a possibility that the Wired's figured it out? Hell, maybe Free Detroit did. Uh, The timing is too suspicious. Why would Barrett want HPL shut down? Didn't he use the data that was coming through it?
4: Yes, and that's the only reason someone with Selden's history would be able to get out into wired territory.
3: Barrett must have built a dampener like the one I made for Clifton. So poof. That's all the scientific data he'll ever need from you. Let's turn off the channel? What if it isn't him? VEF could have gotten hold of HPL or the dampener. I just... I can't picture Barrett letting them do that unless it suited some purpose of his. You're making this guy sound like some kind of supervillain. We've never had any problems with him before. Exactly. He
4: plays the long game. Doesn't it strike you as odd that the first Brooklyn chairman switch over since secession is happening in the middle of all this? It's connected somehow. There's no way it isn't.
3: Pincus Horowitz is 87 years old, for Christ's sakes. You
4: see what I mean? It all makes sense. It would have to, or Barrett wouldn't dare try it.
3: <sighs> what does the name Ahania mean to you? Ahania? That's Blake. Blake who? William Blake. She was a character he created. Why do you ask? It's the pen name of some rewired net pundit Levine's been following for a while. Hard to trace. Good hacking. She's the one who first publicized Free Detroit's HPL discovery. Interesting. And she just wrote an open letter to Dr. Hsu asking him to come forward and explain the Vorn videos.
1: For the first time in their conversation, the doctor was neither saying anything nor preparing to say it. He was staring somewhere into the middle distance. Ahania.
3: Am I to understand that this is a significant development? I want to see. My desk is in here. Levine found it. I can get him to forward me the query. No, I can find it. She's not new. Been on the net ten years or so, Levine says.
1: The doctor read and read. The colonel excused himself for a moment, pouring a shot of Fredericksburg single malt in the kitchen. Lily was fucked up. Maybe his words would make more sense if Haley was, too. He downed the glass, then poured a double. He noticed a picture hanging by the refrigerator. Young faces grinning wide for posterity. The lab that broke the world. But they looked so innocent, so full of wonder. Haley thought about Oppenheimer and his gang, rushing headlong into solving the mysteries of the atom. Maybe the Bible was right. Maybe curiosity was the root of all evil. He picked out the faces. One stood out, of course. Goddamn, she was gorgeous. He had a hard time blaming Lily for getting swept up. Youth, that unreliable chaperone. The colonel hadn't noticed the doctor's presence in the kitchen. Turning, he found Lily staring at the same picture. It's her. Who is?
4: Ahanya. Nightheart? Come on. It's her. We both used to read a lot of Blake. I recognize her voice.
3: I may have to talk to your grower friend, Baltierra.
4: Look, I'm a dead scientist living in a world of vampires and ghosts. It's all I have left. I've read and reread every piece of my past for the better part of three decades, trying like hell to make some sense out of it, and I'm telling you that this woman is Gabriella Nightheart.
3: That's why we can't trace her.
4: Washington Tech. Beats anything we have out here.
3: So you say. Good enough to break HPL, maybe. Maybe. Smart enough to jailbreak Selden? I don't know. Is there any way you could communicate with Barrett via HPL? Anything that only he would understand?
4: Mm, Possibly. But the source node would trace to Texas.
3: To Dr. DeLaw. No security breach there.
4: All right. I'll send it today.
3: Does any of this make more sense if she was involved from the get-go? If she
4: was, then Yes. Discrediting the rewired process by highlighting its worst side effect, painting rewired scientists as sadists, shutting down their sole means of secure communications...
3: Sending Godzilla to come tear down Tokyo.
4: See, that's the part I don't get. What would sending the strongest known Vornseer to
3: Arshad do for the wired? She's not sending him to the law. She's sending him to you. Impossible. Not impossible. Just difficult. You get visitors all the time.
4: I don't get them. Arshad does. No one ever sees me. She
3: can if she draws you out.
4: I'm not going to contact her.
3: You will. No. You will. I could stop you in a mite, but I don't think all of this would have been put in motion if she didn't already know you were alive. You think you
4: know what's going on?
3: I have a pretty good idea. Martyrs are only untouchable if they stay dead. Right now, she was taking the fall for the dark side of the born phenomenon. But if she can pin it on you... The whole movement comes under suspicion.
4: She shares just as much blame as any of us.
3: You think the Corpse give a damn about that? They control the message. They write their own history. They can't do that. The truth matters. Not to them it doesn't. And not to their constituents. We have to find a way to play this. It's not a fucking game. Yes, it is. It's the same game that Brutus played, and Rasputin, and every son of a bitch who ever wanted to get theirs and damn the consequences. You talk about Barrett being the asshole. He's not the one who went to work for the enemy.
1: Lily sat, silenced. He couldn't
3: argue with that.
1: He wanted to, but he couldn't.
3: (sighs) Send your message to Barrett. See what we can find out.
1: The colonel made his way towards the front door. Lily noticed that he had a slight limp. How much longer until the game of power displaced him? He didn't want that. Haley was one of the only people in the world he could trust. At the door, the old soldier turned around.
3: And if you contact Ahania, just remember whose side you're on.
5: Transmission begins. Fourteen minutes fifty-two seconds. Saren, recommission. Power up two hundred fifty-five. Status report. Orbit uniform since last transmission. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday, the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Decommission, power down in 60 seconds. Transmission in 14 minutes, 53 seconds.
1: Harry Seldon was getting tired of the winter. Their egress from Free Detroit had been largely without incident, thanks to the zombie wires provided by Collie. They did not require water transport from the manhole on Belle Isle as the river had completely frozen over. Crossing onto land at Lincoln Park just before daybreak, they purchased bus tickets to St. Louis, where supposedly a safe house awaited them. Harry wasn't sure what constituted safe anymore after their Free Detroit experience, but in the end, Ramsey Tubman's tip had panned out. Collie claimed to have good intel on the St. Louis VEF post. Considering how her own enclave was collapsing around her, Harry kept his expectations low. Per their wires, his father was now John Staines, and he was Arvind Neusbaum. Oddly, he had actually gone to school with an Arvind Neusbaum in Brooklyn, who he hated. The universe laughed itself silly. On the bus, they'd passed a number of porn shops which failed to phase him. It was odd. The longer he went without STEM in his system, the less he obsessed about it, and the more he thought about Nina. She had probably moved on, though the selection at the ward was slim. Maybe he was her last. Part of him liked to think so, self-serving though the thought may have been. He let his memories wander back to her smooth skin. Now he needed privacy. That wouldn't be happening anytime soon, The old man had taken the aisle seat, and Harry had witnessed the biohazard that was the bus bathroom a couple of hours prior. Come to think of it, he hadn't really had any true privacy since the ward. He felt silly for grumbling about that, given all the terrible things that lay ahead. He had been unmoored entirely from his former reality, and that change was evident when he looked at his reflection in the window. Whoever this hard-faced person was, was not the old Harry Seldon. The old man had been quiet since their showdown with Collie. Something about the encounter had shaken him, although Harry was probably the only one who saw it. He wondered whether discussing the change would do more harm than good. Nothing could be said until St. Louis in any case. Had he kept his yap shut on the train, they would likely have already made it to Texas. Or gotten killed at the line. He remembered Collie's words. Somehow she believed Lily and Haley would get them through the line. He had no fucking idea how that was going to happen, as the outer half of the line was made up of wired troops who had no conceivable interest in letting them in, but the VEF obviously thought it was possible as well, so he could only wait and clinch, hoping they knew something he didn't. Harry glanced around at a few of the other passengers, all hooked into the life cast via their visors and wires, accessing unseen entertainment. He was curious about that, despite himself. He knew it was an instrument of control, but he also knew it was far more impressive and immersive than the movies and shows he had experienced. He could hook on a visor, but without the gray matter connection, he would only be getting part of the experience. Not for the first time, he pondered the value of the rewired world's independence. Did it really just come down to bragging rights? The wired world wasn't going anywhere, and no new secessions could conceivably break out, barring a new hacking mechanism. The original movement had been populist, and the preaching was no longer getting to anyone outside the choir. What kind of future could Brooklyn and the Diaspora expect? Then he remembered his father and the shroud that followed him. Who could set such a thing in motion? The more contact he had with the VEF and its allies, the more he suspected that, despite their impressions, they were not the architects of this destiny. He didn't believe in destiny, though. His mind searched for synonyms, destiny or doom. Sometimes the two were the same. He remembered something his mother had told him long ago, after the old man had blown up at him for one thing or another.
5: Your father is still in there, somewhere. He just forgets who he is.
1: Whatever Lars Seldon she was referring to was no one Harry had ever met. He rather wished he could have. Funny, he hadn't thought about her in a while. Now that he sifted back through the memories, he realized that her death had been the breaking point. Though his father had been lost to anger long ago, it was only in her absence that he had also been lost to hopelessness. It occurred to Harry that this journey represented an attempt to reverse that. Now the old man had a mission in life. No truly hopeless person would undertake such a task. He risked a glance at his father, sitting with eyes closed beside him. This was his last hurrah and he wanted his son to see it. The old bastard did care in his own way. The realization came with a sinking feeling. Collie's gift lay in wait just inside his jacket pocket. Why was he so sure it would come to that? Why was she? Death surrounded this odyssey. For now, he could only wait. He remembered an old spoken word record he'd found by William Burroughs. Control being controlled by its need to control. That was the wired world. No, that was the world. Barrett and the rewired powers were not immune. Letting go was the opposite. And yet he found that difficult. He could understand the authorities from that perspective. Could he, when the time came, let himself go? Throw his will onto the mercy of events and do what was right? Even if it wasn't what he wanted to do? He didn't know. He knew he was going to find out. Gabriella was unaccustomed to feeling jitters anymore, but a summons to Taylor Hockaday's house after office hours was a first. True, it was probably business, but maybe not. She picked a suitably form-fitting outfit. Not slutty, but enough to make a statement about how a 53-year-old woman could still make the young boys look twice. Taylor was her junior, but if possible, was even better at defying age than she was. He looked younger than Javier, and better. She throttled back the speculation. Some part of her had already decided it was going to happen, despite her better judgment but with experience came patience, and anything worth having was worth waiting for. From DuPont Circle, it was a short drive to the National Security Advisor's residence. In youth, she had marveled that so much power was concentrated into so few square miles. But of course, those were the old days. Power was now borderless, a global presence hanging over every capital city in the world. The governments did the dirty work for the corpse, but as long as the perks of power remained attached, she didn't mind. One day she would make the jump back into the corporate sector, and then all things became possible once again. The doorman saluted and ushered her in. Hockaday's townhouse was scarcely larger than hers in Spartan. His wife had died of cancer eleven years prior, and he did most of his living at the office. With effort, she cleared her mind of assumptions and followed the doorman to the study. Hockaday rose to greet her. No jacket or tie, just a sweater over the remains of the day's starched white shirt. The most casual she'd ever seen him. And yet, burdened. He waved her to a seat next to his desk. His display was a dizzying cacophony of queries and feeds.
6: The HBL just cleared its throat.
5: Where's the node?
6: Texas. We're assuming DeLaw.
1: With effort, she showed no emotion. Bullshit, it was DeLaw.
6: This one's different, though. It's basically a regurgitation of Sue's data, with annotations explaining the findings.
5: Let me see. No. This isn't meant for scientists. This is for a general audience.
6: Obviously, DeLal knows HBL's been compromised. He's attempting damage control.
5: This is not Dr. DeLal.
6: Sorry. Sometimes I forget who I'm talking to.
5: This is a legacy issue for Lily. Shu inadvertently pointed out the ugly underneath, and there's no way Waylon could let that stand. What's this at the bottom?
6: Another alphanumeric code. Past transmissions could be located by query with the previous one for location purposes. The old one is how we found the data this time, too.
5: And we've searched this new one as well? Prose again, but
6: not Lovecraft.
5: I don't recognize it.
6: Nietzsche. Anyone in particular who might pick up on that?
5: (laughs) The Übermensch, please.
6: Barrett. Any idea what it means?
5: Unfortunately, no. If that's all he sent, then it must be some back-channel thing between them.
6: So there's more than one quote-code going on here.
5: HPL was a way to help the team find newly posted data. This post has no such information.
6: It could activate a net exchange.
5: One that might be difficult to find. I doubt it will have the same flag. But we should search along those lines just in case. These signals were developed pretty hastily 28 years ago. They may have gotten careless.
6: Put your people on it. Make sure Kalana sees it. He's got an eye for that sort of thing.
1: She smiled to herself. She could call Javier now take care of two things at once. She wanted something else, though, despite herself. This was the time to stand up and go, but she didn't. Instead, she leaned in closer to the display, pretending to study it further. Seeing her eyes on the display, Hockaday's gaze traveled a bit. She noticed and brushed back her hair, mock absently, scooting just an inch or two closer. Surely he knew. In cases like this, it was best to give the initiative over. There'd be time enough later to assert herself.
6: Dr. Nyhart.
1: He smelled faintly of cologne. Of man. Without moving another muscle, she turned her eyes to his, now less than a foot apart. Gabriella. She knew. His eyes had already fucked her a hundred times. She could see that for sure now. She rested her chin on her hand, twisting her hips a little in the chair daring him to make a move. He did. And the fevered rush of lips on skin, she felt the triumph burning in her gut. Taking him in front of Waylon's feeble message on the display made it even sweeter. Very soon, this one too would be hers. As he should be. Dr. James Barrett hadn't been home in days. Things were moving much too rapidly to take his eye off the ball. His new personal assistant, Foch, had moved most of Barrett's essential belongings into a disused HQ office down the hall. When the doctor slept, it was there. And yet the whole business wasn't progressing fast enough for his taste. News from the field was paltry. Caravelli, at least, was true to his word, and had started bringing him the requested specimens from Queen's. This risked incurring further scrutiny on wall integrity by the wires, but it was essential that he have believable testimony when the time came. Time. Always time. Earlier that evening he had stared at his cue for at least an hour, willing it to produce something of note. Seconds before he abandoned the Enterprise, the heavens opened up. HBL was back on the air. And Lily even, bless him. The old bastard's righteousness was unimpugnable as ever. Barrett raised his dry martini in a salute, facing southwest as he did so. Shine on, you crazy Jeremiah, He shook his head at the extra coat at the bottom. Sloppy Waylon, you know she's watching. Running the query,
7: he pulled up the result. The quote floated on his display in the darkness, and he read aloud. What if some day or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, This life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke this? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a god and never have I heard Anything more divine? (laughs) All right, that was a bit clever.
1: Debate practice. Wednesday nights at Stone's dorm. God, were they ever that young. Simple-minded, too. Each had their little bag of influences, quotes at the ready. Lily with his Blake and Emerson. Stone wheeling Derrida and Dick. Barrett's own intoxication with Nietzsche was flowering and he used old Frederick as a blunt instrument when the privileged guilt and socialist teeth gnashing got too thick. But then, as now, Lily had surprised him, and almost overnight became the dorm's leading expert on Nietzsche. It blindsided Barrett, who had arrived in Texas on scholarship, expecting to be the pick of the litter in this land of cows and Bible bangers. Lily held his feet to the fire, and the young James Barrett would never underestimate his foe again. Sipping his martini, he weighed the invitation. Ironic, he thought. Lily was the one who had sharpened him, only to curse the honed blade years later when it was complete. And now with HPL down, and the treacherous siren hounding him even out in the prairie wind, he reached for the weapon again. That which does not kill us makes us stronger, Nietzsche had said. Barrett pictured the cramped
7: dorm, a sea of disposable food and unlaundered clothes. The visionary lies to himself. The liar only to others.
1: Still, more information would be helpful. The resources of the BDF and their spies within the VEF had netted him very little in the way of reliable intelligence. He knew Kali Savine had released the Seldons. That they had blundered into Free Detroit at all was alarming. It was precisely that sort of thing that kept him from sleeping. Anything could go wrong at any moment. Could, in fact, be going wrong right now. Nonetheless... An important bit of business had to be done he opened a net gateway accessing a largely disused out of the way board he created a new username a moniker that only one man now living would ever bother to search for then
7: he made a post are you not moved when all the sway of earth shakes like a thing unfirm oh cicero i have seen tempests when the scolding winds have rived the knotty oaks. And I have seen the ambitious ocean swell in rage and foam, to be exalted with the threatening clouds. But never till tonight, never till now, did I go through a tempest dropping fire. Either there's a civil strife in heaven, or else the world too saucy with the gods incenses them to send destruction.
1: Sarah chuckled to himself. There was a through line after all. There always was.
0: been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Trista Morris as Nina, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Ed Rogers as Dr. Wayland Lilly, Janice McCall as the voice of the satellite, Beth Brown as Elizabeth Selden, Joshua Busey as Taylor Hockaday, Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Nighthart, and Derek Davis as Dr. James Barrett. Written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for Episode 10, Meet Me in St. Louis.